Welcome to All By Our Shelves, a library podcast of the Haverford Township Free Library. My name is Mary Bear Shannon. I am here with my colleagues from the Reference Department, Mandy Falwell, Kim Christopher, and Amy Moskowitz. And again, my name is Mary Bear Shannon, and we are here to talk to you about things that we have been reading, things that we recommend. And so for this month, we have some really interesting fiction and nonfiction books to talk about. So Mandy, why don't you tell us about what you've been reading? Hi. So I decided to read a book called The Maid by Nita Prose for this podcast. It is available in the e-reader white group, the e-reader pink group, the e-reader purple group, Overdrive and Libby, and it's also going to be a book club in a bag. Soon, not quite yet. Now this book is a mystery book that I really enjoyed. A prominent man lies dead in his bed at the top story of a five-star hotel that he owns, the Regency Hotel. Discovered by the maid, the reason of how he died alone in an empty room forms the main story of the book. Reading this book actually reminded me strongly of the book A Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime by Mark Haddon because it had the same feel. That book was also a mystery told from the perspective of a neurodivergent person, though unlike the main character of The Maid, this character is a child in that book as he attempts to explore a mystery in his neighborhood. Like The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, this book is definitely a mystery, but it is also a journey of discovery, both for the main character, who is a neurodivergent maid named Molly, as she navigates and attempts to understand why the death occurred within the context of the pages, but also a journey for the reader as we embark on this first-person tale, learning what it is like to see the world with a unique perspective and sometimes understanding what is going on in the story long before the main character herself does even though we are both exposed to the same experiences within the story. But because we identify different things, we see different things than she does, we have a different perspective on the mystery than than she has. This book is written in first person and begins by addressing the singular nature of the relationship between a maid and those that they clean after. It is an oddly intimate yet detached perspective, outlining how a maid can know someone's most intimate secrets and clean up after their sins, but how, conversely, in return, they might never know her at all. Molly Gray works at the five-star Regency Grand Hotel. She takes great, almost obsessive pride in her work as a maid there. And at the beginning of the book, she is struggling to adjust to the loss of her grandmother, an event which happens about nine months before the story begins. She loves the hotel because in the orderliness and cleanliness that she can affect within its walls, she finds a feeling of safety and satisfaction that she struggles to feel in other places of her life. Molly, who had been abandoned to her grandmother's care as a child, relied on her to help navigate the world, as Molly has a difficult time in social situations and with social cues or facial expressions. So without her grandmother to explain the responses or behaviors of those around her, Molly feels adrift in a world where her coworkers call her things like a freak and a Roomba, meaning a cleaning robot, because of her formal and direct way of speaking, her seeming inability to show appropriate emotions, and their inability to understand the way that she sees the world. And while it is true that Molly doesn't show what people consider to be socially expected emotions, as the tale unfolds, it becomes quite clear that Molly has the capacity for deep feeling and empathy as she tries to help her friends and be a good employee to the hotel. 
Ultimately, the interesting quirky narrator, the duality between the perceptions of the main character and that of the reader as the story plays out, and the really interesting web of mysteries in the book make it a really fun and clever read. I really enjoyed learning about Molly and her friends, and really liked that it was so ultimately heartwarming. As in the beginning, she goes from a woman who has just lost her grandmother and is adrift without any family, to at the end when she learns who her friends and what real friendship really is and what that means to her. So definitely, I think that anybody who likes books that are closed-door mysteries or from the perspective of a neurodivergent individual would really love The Maid. I haven't read anything like this in a long time. It's a really interesting story and mystery. Hi, this is Amy. I'm curious how you think that Molly being neurodivergent made this mystery unique and how it would have been different if Molly wasn't neurodivergent. Well, a lot of her interactions with the characters take place on many levels at once. For example, there's a man that she kind of has a crush on named Rodney, and she thinks he is wonderful because he is clean shaven in his chest area, and she thinks that is attractive. Mm -hmm. So she thinks because he's clean, so therefore he is a good person, a good egg, as she would put it. What she doesn't realize is that he's behind some rather nefarious things in the hotel, but as you know from basically first meeting him that he's using her, you see that because you see the way his smile like quirks up at the end and the way he kind of nods and smiles at her and convinces her to do things. And she just thinks he's being a good guy. You know, she doesn't see that level of interaction with him because she just doesn't understand subtlety, she doesn't understand nuance, and she doesn't understand sarcasm. And those do play a part in this book. I'm curious then, um, this sounds more like a human story rather than a mystery. So does it focus more on that human angle or the mystery? How does it balance the two, I guess? So it is more focused actually just being a mystery, but because it is through the lens of somebody who is different, I think that that is also how it focuses on the human aspect of things in addition to focusing on the mystery, because through that the mystery comes about and you see different aspects of it and how it happened. So I think it focuses on both equivalently, believe it or not. Even though I know it was kind of a difficult tightrope to walk, I think Nita Prose did a really good job doing her research, and I think she did a really good job navigating that. Okay. So, Kim, why don't you tell us what you've been reading? All right. Well, uh, Kim here. So what I have read was The Lincoln Highway by Amor Tolles, and... It's written just like he did Gentleman Moscow in his first book as well, just historical fiction. And it's a bit more modern, set in the 1950s or 1954, Nebraska specifically. Initially, it focuses on a wide cast of characters, just like you would have found in Gentleman Moscow, but starts out focusing with Emmett, young man who has just been released from a juvenile work camp or juvenile detention center, if you want, for involuntary manslaughter lawn story behind that that he goes into eventually it unfolds his whole life story but when he arrives home his father recently died his mother is long gone and coming back home he has he's not so much eager to resume his life but he knows that now as an adult he has a responsibility to his younger brother billy who's only eight years old and since their father's gone they're well they had a family farm it's in foreclosure now because their father just had all these crazy ideas about how to run a farm couldn't get it to work, took out all sorts of loans from the bank, and so now the bank is on Emmett's case to pay back the debts and everything, so Emmett just wants a fresh start, and 
He was also the way he was raised because his father was sort of loose about things that everyone should be free to pursue their own life. So he wants to start a new life and take care of his brother, and he thinks the best way to do it is going to California. And, well, it's a road trip story as a result of that, but his plans are sort of thrown astray when Billy insists that instead they take the Lincoln Highway, which is this road that just stretches all the way across the United States, and Billy's insistent that they take the highway because he wants to find their mother, who had sent postcards from places along the Lincoln Highway. Emmett, he's sort of reluctant to follow that plan because you can't exactly find someone with just postcards and just the idea also that their mother left them with no explanation, disappeared into the night. He's not exactly eager to resume a relationship with her as a result, per se. But then Billy's really insistent, and he starts to go along with it in a way, but then everything gets thrown asunder, so to speak, when he finds out that two of his friends from the detention camp, Duchess and Wooly, had snuck into the back of the car, his right home, and they have their own plan that they want to go to New York City, and they insist that Emmett, as well as Billy, accompany them because... In New York City, Wooly, one of his two friends, he's actually the heir to a family inheritance, big money and everything, and they want to go to New York to claim it, and that they would share it all between them and everything, and, well, to say the least, without spoiling too much for everyone who hasn't read it yet, just that this journey, this road trip, is something that will change all of them in so many ways. It's done the way Immortals did his previous books, historical fiction, very interesting colorful characters, but... When you read it, it almost feels like you're reading a retelling of something like Huckleberry Finn or Tom Sawyer, just that sense of adventure and the literary style that Immortals is writing with this book. What just kept me reading it was the characters, the way he captured the way they human beings are. Just Billy, young little boy, innocent, naive. Emmett, this young man who just came into adulthood, and he's trying to figure out how to be a responsible adult taking care of his brother balancing these two friends who insist he go to New York with them, all the responsibilities that he now has, and then Duchess and Wooly. Wooly, he's just this young guy who's, well, the reason he was in the camp was because he's very naive. He's like a little child stuck in a man's body. He thinks there's nothing wrong with the world, and the reason he got sent to the camp was because he noticed there was a fire truck on the side of the road just sitting there, and so he returned to the firehouse without knowing that there was actually fire going on, and he stole it, essentially. And then Duchess, he's a really conflicted character. He sees everything in sort of a gray light, where he might be doing something he sees as right, but it's actually the wrong thing, and when he does the wrong thing, it's the right thing. Yeah, the characters in the story make this worth reading, and I just kept reading to see all the sorts of things that happen to these characters, their stories. It's not just Emmett's story, it's all these other characters, even the side characters. There's this minor and yet still sort of significant character called Ulysses, who returned from the war. He's lost in life. He went to the war thinking he was doing his patriotic duty, but then his wife had told him before he left that, if you leave, I will not be here when you come back. You should just be living life, making a living, you know, not going being a soldier. But yeah, it is really fascinating story as a result of all those characters, and I just really enjoyed it. This is Mary. Kim, this is set in a historical period, even though it's not super old. It's from the 50s, and it references a very historical highway. It's really the first turnpike in America. Did you uh, learn more about life in the 50s in the Midwest, and did you learn more about the Lincoln Highway? 
not so much about the Lincoln Highway per se. Billy, being an enthusiastic little boy, he goes into an in-depth history on the Lincoln Highway, trying to convince his brother about why they should take the Lincoln Highway to find their mother. And you do learn a bit about life in the 1950s as a result of traveling this path. And also there are times when they get into sort of hairy situations where this duchess doesn't see things in this right and wrong sort of manner, all in gray, that he borrows Emmett's car without telling him. And so to get his car back, Emmett has to hitch a ride on a train with his brother, like a hobo, as they would put it back then in this book. But yeah, you do learn a bit about it, but it's more focusing on the characters. I'm curious what it was like for you to read about this cast of characters who most of them came out of juvenile detention. So most of them were quote unquote bad seeds or, you know, (laughs) uh, came out of, you know, a rough situation. Did you find these characters likable? Did you relate to any of these characters or could you find ways of really enjoying the characters, which most people may find difficult to like? Mm. Yeah, I really related with Emmett because I sort of felt what he felt that as soon as you get out of your teen years, society views you as an adult. And when he was being driven home by the warden of the juvenile camp, he was told that, you know, you're an adult now. You have responsibilities. Live up to it. And Emmett does agree, but he's sort of reluctant in the sense that he has to find a way to balance that responsibility as an adult when he was in camp for so long, didn't get a chance to enjoy well, his teen years, so to speak. But uh, yeah, and in other cases, Duchess, (laughs) there are times you just want to wring his neck because he's just doing all sorts of crazy things. And everyone agrees that, yeah, Duchess can be a good friend in the sense that he has your back, but then at the same time, he might just stab you in the back, like how he borrowed Emmett's car without telling him and doing all sorts of other things like that. Yeah, some characters you can relate to, and some you might think, like Duchess, yeah, you just want to wring his neck. <laughs> uh, this is Mandy. Now, it seems like this story is a lot about like adventures and dreams and things like that. And I know that as a, a period, the transition between being a kid and being an adult can be really scary and involve a lot of imagination. Like you mentioned that he was trying to, was told to live up to his responsibilities. Do you think in the story that he actually wanted to do that? Did he actually do that at all? Because it seems to me that in the adventure, he might have been trying to escape from his responsibilities at the same time. In some ways, yeah, just that this journey, this road trip does give him sort of an opportunity in a way to escape from it because Duchess is really sort of pushing him to go on this road trip for the money. And he thinks that, yeah, if I get the money, we're set because it's a big family fortune that Wooly is supposed to inherit. And... He has that in his mind that he'll be set for life, but at the same time, he is trying to in some ways live up that expectation of being an adult in this time, but this road trip does provide him some sort of opportunity because even though, again, Duchess is the kind of guy you want to wring his neck because of just all the stuff he does, he tries to push Emmett in a direction that doesn't make him be that stiff adult, you know, wearing a suit and tie and everything. He does try and push him down a different sort of path. And Amy, I understand you've got a mystery, too. Can you tell us about what you've been reading? Sure. I recently finished reading the novel The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Dave. This book was published in May of 2021 and quickly became a bestseller. After reading it, I can understand why. 
The plot grabs your attention very early on and really doesn't let go until the final wild conclusion. Though I don't tend to read many mysteries, I found this book engaging and enjoyed how Dave took me on many twists and turns as I attempted to figure out just what was going on. Imagine this. You're a woman in her 40s who has finally married the love of your life, Owen Michaels. You're working with Owen to raise his 16-year-old daughter, Bailey, while keeping up with your own popular wood-turning business. Life is good, until one day, Owen disappears. Prior to his disappearance, Owen was able to smuggle a note to you. A note which simply read, protect her. Right away, you know who he was referring to. His daughter, Bailey, his pride and joy. Now, you not only have to find out what happened to Owen, you also have the daunting task of protecting Bailey. But protecting her from what? From who? As the FBI and different organizations get involved, you wonder more and more who to trust and what to do. Owen is gone, and you have one task as life grows uncertain around you. One thing you must do at all cost. Protect her. Now, I consider myself a rather smart person and not too gullible, yet I was not able to figure out the ending to this mystery, which was rather fun and exciting at times. The protagonist, Owen's wife Hannah, was my favorite character. Her progression from an uncertain wife and mother to a strong, assertive woman who would risk anything and stop at nothing to fulfill Owen's wish of protecting Bailey was interesting to follow. I found Bailey, on the other hand, as some 16-year-olds can be, annoying. <laughs> at times, I wondered why Hannah was going to such great lengths to shield this sarcastic, unappreciative, and downright rude teen. I mean, she may have needed some discipline, at least. But Bailey was going through trauma just like Hannah. She just didn't handle it with such grace and maturity, and I found that hard to read and uncomfortable. Hannah's love for Owen and her tenacity and dedication won me over. I think that's what's really at the heart of this book, at least for me. The last thing he told me is available at the library as a book, on our Nook e-readers in the Purple Group, and as a book club in a bag kit. If you'd like more information about this or any of our book club in a bag kits, please call the reference department. Uh, so, Kim here. I just was wondering, I guess it's a bestseller. It's also in Reese's Book Club Reads. But based on what you think after having read it, what do you think makes it like a bestseller or something that makes it worth reading that is? I think that it's kind of unusual for a mystery in that it really jumps in immediately to the mystery. It doesn't really start out slow. Like I said, I'm not too much of a mystery reader, but from the ones I've read, they kind of ease you in. They, you know, start with a little bit of tension and kind of slowly build. This one, almost right away, Owen's gone. And so right away, you're left wondering why this man disappeared. What's happening? What's going on? And there's just this note that says, protect her. What does that mean? I was even wondering, even though Hannah seemed to know, oh, it's Bailey, does it mean Bailey? What does that note mean? What's Hannah going to do next? So I think that it's popular because it's a little bit unique as mysteries go. This is Mary. So I am a mystery lover, but one of my kind of pet peeves with mysteries is that often there's a body that's found, so there's a murder. And I do feel like that they rarely, you were talking about Bailey having her own trauma, 
I feel like they rarely delve into the fact that this is probably the worst thing that's happened to these people ever. And so I'm wondering, do you feel like they give justice to the trauma that's happening to these people? I actually would like to have seen a little bit more, especially because of Bailey's attitude during the book. Bailey just reacted in such a way throughout the story that, again, it affected me on so much of a level that whenever Bailey would respond to Hannah, I would just roll my eyes (laughs) along with Bailey. And... It took me a little while to realize, okay, this is probably a trauma response. But I wanted the book to kind of delve a little bit deeper into why Bailey was acting the way that she was. Again, her father's gone. And, you know, her father was being looked at by the FBI. And this person who isn't even her birth mother is now trying to protect her. And it's only the two of them against the world. So, yes, it is trauma. It's a crisis that they're going through. And I would have liked the book to delve a little bit deeper into her emotional state and exactly what was going on kind of inside Bailey to make her act the way that she was. Um, This is Mandy again. Where is Bailey's biological mom? Doesn't she have somebody else who would take her? Is she, has she officially been adopted by Hannah that Hannah has any kind of right to say anything? So in part of the story, Bailey's birth mother had passed away a few years earlier. And so she was not alive to to be part of this. To find out why and to find out more, you'll have to read the book. Okay. (laughs) Okay, and this is Mary again. And I read a nonfiction book in celebration of Black History Month. I read The Three Mothers how the mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin shaped a nation by Anna Tubbs. Anna holds a, um, a master's in multidisciplinary gender studies and a PhD in sociology from the University of Cambridge, in addition to a bachelor's in medical anthropology from Stanford. And it's also interesting to note that she is the self-described first partner of her husband, Michael Tubbs, who was the, uh, was the mayor of Stockton, California. But in her own right, I think she's written a really, really interesting read about these three women, Burtis Baldwin, Alberta King, and Louise Little, all born within six years of each other at the beginning of the 20th century, and really were forced to contend with the things that faced all people of color at this time, Jim Crow, but facing it as black women. I found this really interesting because my grandmother was born around the same time. She was born in 1893. So I was thinking a lot about what these women faced and what my grandmother faced, which was really different because, you know, she was not a woman of color. And the fact that they all kind of represent a specific era. Um, I just wanted to start with some quotes by these famous men about their mothers. The mother is the first teacher of the child, the message she gives that child that gives to the world. That's Malcolm X. And I saw my mother's face again and felt for the first time how the stones of the road she had walked must have bruised her feet. And that was by James Baldwin. And then it is something like the mother giving birth to a child while she is temporarily consoled by the fact that her pain is not just bare, meaningless pain, she nevertheless experiences the pain, in spite of the fact that she realizes beneath her pain is the emergence of life in a radiant infant. She experiences the agony right on. 
and that was by Martin Luther King Jr. I was amazed at how little I knew about these women. I felt like this was a really well-researched, innovative approach to telling these stories and telling their stories. Unfortunately, there are gaps and holes because there's just not a whole lot about these women, really because of their gender and because of their race. Uh, They were not deemed important enough to save. Alberta and Burtis, fortunately, corresponded regularly with their sons. And so a lot of research was from that correspondence and helped Anna Tubbs with her research. Louise, who is Malcolm X's mother, unfortunately was institutionalized for 25 years and had much less of a paper trail. So there were times I found myself wanting more about these women, but I really liked the story she was able to tell. They really were three extraordinary women, and they passed their knowledge to their children with the hope of helping them to survive in a society that would deny their humanity really from the very beginning. Louise really valued and taught her children about her activist roots. She was a Garveyite along with her husband. Marcus Garvey was an activist in the early part of the 20th century and really emphasized black pride and also connections with Africa. Louise was a native of Grenada, which I thought was really interesting. Burtis really encouraged her son James Baldwin to express himself through writing. She, interestingly, is from the Delmarva Peninsula in Maryland, but spent most of her adult life in New York City. Alberta, Martin Luther King's mother, really based all of her lessons to him in faith and social justice. She came from a very different background, a a fairly privileged, what I would call church aristocracy. Her father was the pastor of the famed Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, and that Martin Luther King Jr.'s father took over after Alberta's father passed away. All three women learned to read and write above an average level, and all three formed passions for the arts of writing, poetry, and music. Alberta, Louise, and Burtis instilled this love in their children, which was actually a form of resistance in itself, and really encouraged them as black children to dream in this way. These women used their strength and motherhood to push their children toward greatness, and all with a conviction that every human being deserves dignity and respect despite the rampant discrimination they faced. And they faced a lot. (laughs) I thought this was a really interesting testimony to the 20th century and being black, especially being a black woman in the 20th century. There were a lot of similarities, but there were also a fair amount of differences between these individual women and as being mothers. But they really do represent a piece of history left untold and a celebration of black motherhood that's long overdue. It really is a testimony about how difficult their task was to raise black children in the early part of the 20th century. You know, trying to, I found Anna Tubbs really trying to check the cliche of the strong black woman (laughs) that I feel like just is pervasive and that black women will always find a way, even if they have it, you know, we all knew that their work was three times as hard as other mothers. But yet I felt like she balanced that with being sensitive to the fact that yeah, they, they achieved a lot, but why is it that they're required to be so extraordinary? <laughs> and how unfair is that? And I think the other interesting thing is all three of these mothers followed their sons in death. Even James Baldwin, who lived to the late 80s, his mother outlived him. 
And the fact that these mothers all watched their sons struggle and suffer, but they also witnessed the huge impact they had on the U.S. in the 20th century. I'm sure that I know that was a point of pride, but there was also a lot of pain there too. And I think that Anna Tubbs did a good job of just painting a backdrop of the conditions faced by black women in the 20th century, including Jim Crow, lynchings, and discrimination in really all aspects of life. And she talks about the erasure of black women. When they're not being erased from history, she talks about the stereotypes, the only way we really know black women, which is the mammy, the domineering, angry black woman, or the welfare queen. So I'll just end with Ibrahim X. Kendi's quote about this book. Tubbs's connection to these women is palpable on the page. As both a mother and a scholar of the impact black motherhood has had on America, through Tubbs's writing, Burtis, Alberta, and Louise's stories sing. Theirs is a history forgotten that begs to be told, and Tubbs tells it brilliantly. This book is available as a book in our catalog, and also an e-book and an audiobook on Libby. Mary, you mentioned, this is Mandy again, you mentioned that the research on these women was scarce. Did you find that the author leaned more heavily on the men about which there was a ton of information and saw the women's existence through the lens of the, the men that they created? You know, it's interesting that you would ask that because I don't think so. I think that she tried really hard to stay away from telling the story of each of these men. In fact, I think you really did have to go into this book knowing something about Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and James Baldwin. I really felt like she tried really hard to always put things in the context of their interactions with their mothers. So if they're going to talk about these three men, they talked about their relationship. And I think that some of the reviews I saw said there's just not enough information here. But I still feel like their stories need to be told. And I think that they did all live some really interesting lives. They were very strong women. And I think it's no surprise that they produced the three men that they did by just the the example that they had to their children and what they imparted to their children. So, Kim here, Mary. Just a quick question, I guess, because it sounds, well, you said that a lot of the research is taken from the correspondences between the mothers and sons. So how is the book written? Is it written factually or sort of like fiction? Because it sounds like they would, the tubs will be including all the excerpts from the letters. Well, I think she did draw on some other resources. The way she set it up, I thought was really interesting. She went through the phases of their lives, their births, their growing up, their young adulthood, their meeting of their own husbands, their having of their children, the struggles that they went through, and then the end. So that in each of those sections, she was talking about each of the three women. And I guess that could have been confusing. I didn't find it to be confusing. I found it to have some cohesion in terms of their talking about these similar experiences. And it it was helpful to kind of look at them all in one chapter to understand some of the similarities and differences of their experience. So that is our uh, our books for this month in in February. We really appreciate you joining us for All By Our Shelves, a library podcast of the Haverford Township Free Library. 
Thanks for joining us and have a great day.